Hello, this is Curtis Edwards, Vice President of Investor Relations at Hudson Investing. Are you ready to start building your multifamily portfolio? Kent and I are excited to announce our newest deal in Spartanburg, South Carolina. This 157-unit property offers a unique chance to acquire a B-class value-add property for just $120,000 per door. This is well below replacement costs. De-risking the deal even further is a favorable loan assumption with over six years remaining at 3.73% fixed. With 50 economic development projects underway and 70,000 jobs within a 20-minute drive, the South Carolina upstate region is primed for above-average job, population, and rent growth. Don't miss out on this exclusive deal. Find the link in the description notes to learn how you can invest. How would we take on the risk of having to execute a flawless renovation plan in order to achieve our, our, our investment returns uh, when we can get that same return or maybe even a better going in return? Welcome to Right Around Real Estate, the show about how to passively invest like a pro. On each episode, I interview real estate experts who give their top investing advice, strategies, and tools and I break down their insights into practical steps to avoid the pitfalls and make better investments. I want to help you passively invest like a pro. This is Ritter on Real Estate, and I'm your host, Kent Ritter. Hello, fellow investors. Welcome to Ritter on Real Estate. I'm your host, Kent Ritter, and today I've got a very special guest, Steve Lamont Jr. And Steve is the executive vice president and co-leader of CBRE Indianapolis, Louisville Multifamily. In his role, Steve leads the market in large institutional grade sales with over 1.1 billion in volume since 2012. So Steve, thanks for being here today. Really excited to hear your insights uh, on the market and hear uh, from your perspective working throughout the Midwest, kind of where, you know, where people should be focusing, how things have changed and what you expect coming out of, of all this that we're in right now as we start to get back outside you know, where should people be, where should people be looking for deals? So really excited to, to have you today. Excellent. Why yeah. Why don't we start off with, uh, I'd love to just hear a little bit more about your background. I know that you've um, had a long career in multifamily. So, so what, you know, tell, give us your history and tell us what led you uh, to multifamily. Yeah, sure. Well, it's kind of, I guess sort of an interesting story. And it's a short story as well, because I've been doing this my entire span. So, you know, almost, <laughs> about 26 years in the multifamily space. I always knew I wanted to be in real estate because of family friends who are in the business. So that was sort of where I, I, I feel like I was, I was slated for this industry. Uh, mm-hmm. The apartment piece, though, was a surprise. I thought I was going to be in the office side because that seemed uh, to line up with uh, you know, how I was wired and you know, kind of working in a, in a professional space, studied finance at IU, and just thought office was the side of the business I'd go into. Uh, turned out that, that door closed and the door opened up to jump into multifamily three months into my, my uh, apprenticeship at CBRE, which at the time was commercial. And uh, I, I decided to jump out of this apprenticeship data bank program early, which was uh, an attractive option, and jumped into the multifamily space. So you know, my explanation for that is uh, it was not on my radar at all. Multifamily looked very different 25, 26 years ago than it does today. It was very, very mom and popish, very unsophisticated. It was not, you know, it's not a glamorous side of the business at all, but there was an opportunity there and, and I jumped. So 
uh, in a way I reconcile all that. God opened up the door and uh, and I jumped in and it was, it was the multifamily space where I could use my finance degree because these are investment property sales. So, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, it turns out over the last 25 years, the apartment space has really turned upside down from what it was, just in terms of sophistication and asset design and capital that's invested in the space. So, you know, it's a, it's a uh, for a lot of reasons that we can talk about here, uh, it's a resilient space that's a nice hedge in a down cycle and it rides up in an up cycle as well. Um, so, can you, can you tell us a little bit more about the history there, kind of the evolution and, and how we've gotten to to the market of, of where we're at today? Yeah, sure. Well, I think I think one interesting observation that's just you know, very obvious is that 25 years ago, if you're a college grad and you're 25 years old, you have to be in a house. And if you're not in a house, then something went wrong with your plan. With your plan. It, you, there was a mm-hmm. failure. And today, if you're a college grad, 25 years old, and you're in a house, something went wrong with the plan. So it's a <laughs> sure. We've got a 180 degree flip here. The preferences have just changed. People just don't want to own a home. Young people, uh, empty nesters, certainly. And then a lot of folks in the middle of that of that, that spectrum just mm-hmm. don't want the responsibilities that come with owning. They've realized, like myself personally, when you, uh, when you invest in a single family house, it's not necessarily an investment. Well, it's an investment, but it not, might not be an appreciating investment. Mm-hmm. So, Take that away, and some of the motivation to own single family goes away. Then you look at where multifamily has been built over the last 10 or 15 years. It's built in uh, very strategic central locations, in possibly mm-hmm. jobs locations, walkable locations, much closer in than typically uh, where, where the same level of single family housing that would be you know, uh, income demographic appropriate for that renter would be built. You know, those homes would be built much further out. So we have walkability, we have uh, centrality, we have you know, proximity. I'm kind of saying the same thing in those three those three labels. Sure. And then you have asset uh, finish and feature. You have you know, new construction today. You've got quartz or stainless steel. Uh, uh, sorry, you've got quartz or granite uh, countertops. You've got stainless steel appliances. You've got phenomenal interior finishes. You've got amenity space, which is resort style. And you live with you know, 250 other Households that are maybe fairly similar to you. So there's this sense of community that you just don't get in single family. You get uh, you, know, you get a different feel. You have, you have different features in single family, and I'm not suggesting that single family doesn't play a role. Mm-hmm. Certainly does for still the majority of Americans, but um, it's playing a, a decreasing role for the majority of Americans as these preferences have leaned in toward uh, the things and the features that multifamily offers today. And I guess one other thing I'd say on this, one, one of the most interesting uh, evolutions, to use your word, over the last, uh, we've probably seen this more so over the last five to eight years, is uh, the amenity space and the sense of community that that is being fostered in the apartment industry. Uh, it used to be that uh, folks that lived in apartments uh, were, you know, they were very focused on their box, on what happens mm-hmm. inside. Owners, operators, developers, very focused on the box itself. What, what's gonna? What do these four walls look like, and how, we, how can we make that experience the best experience for the resident? And that's changed dramatically today. Where now, you know, and I guess we can blame it on the, the digital age that we're in that uh, that should make us hyper connected, but has this ironic twist of disconnectedness, physical disconnectedness, where we're connected digitally, but we're not connected connected physically and spatially. So I think there's a there's some pushback in, in American society on that, where people are saying, 
we want to be together. We want to be in the same common space. And so now we've seen this shift from just focusing on the box to focusing more on the amenity space and creating a sense of community mm-hmm. inside of properties that occurs, you know, largely in, in the common area, in the, in the clubhouse, and the pool, and the fitness center. And you know, the best examples of this are uh, take a you know, an urban property with a street level uh, retail space, storefront type space, and picture you know, like a, a boutique type hotel where you walk into the lobby and this boutique hotel and you've got the, you know, the coffee shop over here to the right, you've got a you know, restaurant bar concept over to the left, and then right in the center, you've got the registration desk. So all those elements exist in one space and uh, you've got different people who have different agendas melting together in the center. And, mm-hmm. and that happened now in the apartment space where uh, you're taking all these different elements and types of traffic. You've got people coming off the street that want to, want to get a coffee. You've got people coming off the street that are getting dinner or a drink. You've got the residents who are walking in who are exercising or using the common space and sitting areas. And it's all happening together and creating a sense of community that just didn't exist before. So uh, my view on, on the amenity space and the evolution that's occurring there is that community really is the future amenity. And the, and the operators and developers who are figuring that out and designing spaces around uh, community and fostering a sense of community are, are the ones that I think are going to win. And then we see groups like Apartment Life, which is um, you know, a third-party organization that comes in and brings staff into a property to conduct social um, events, uh, get their residents mm-hmm. active. Community. So you know, a, lot of, a lot of people are thinking about this new face of the amenity. So I think that's a really interesting thing to bring up and talking about the sense of community and amenities, especially in, in the time we're in, this this you know, this COVID environment that we live in, this kind of social distancing environment. How do you, what's your perspective on, on how that idea of community changes, um, you know, in, in this this world we live in, we're worrying about getting infected and the pandemic. I mean, do you see that having a, having a long-term effect and maybe changing that approach? Or, or do you think that, um, well, I guess just that, I mean, how, how do you see that altering? Yeah. I think I've got two immediate thoughts on that. One, I think that everybody is about to lose their head by uh, the, the quarantine. And as soon as we're you know, released from jail, uh, there's mm-hmm. going to be just a, a lot of pent up demand to go out to eat, to go to games, to go to concerts and, and you know, do the things that we all used to do before. And so we'll see a lot of a lot of uh, uh, maybe hyper community, if mm-hmm. I can share sure. that, that phrase. Yeah, I, I like it. The other thing that's happening, though, is that we're all discovering uh, you know, like this conversation we're having right now, that we don't need to be face to face. There are a lot to be conducted digitally, and so I think that's going to change the way. You know, that's going to change the way a lot of people do business. It will certainly change the way uh, leasing is conducted in the wake of Corona. We did an investor survey uh, last week, talking to a number of our, our our owners in our markets, and asked them, you know, what do they think? Uh, what, what do they think this? does as far as lasting changes in the way that they conduct business. We asked a number of different questions, but related to this topic we're on right now, uh, we asked the question, how will how are your how will your post-corona tours change based on what you've learned mid-corona? And the point of that is you know, we're seeing virtual tours, we're seeing a lot of a lot of you know, non non uh, real-time spatial tours taking place. It's happening across the industry, but it's certainly happening in the apartment industry. And so the, the question was, you know, how will this affect what you do going forward? And interestingly, 28%, you know, not 58%, but 28% said that they will 
they will rely increasingly on virtual pre-recorded tours in the future? I would guess that that answer would have been, you know, 5%. It probably wasn't even on most operators' mm-hmm. radar or the need to evolve occurred. So, you know, we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of changes, but, you know, my, I, I still go back to my comment a few minutes earlier that, um, that uh, I think people want to be together, they want to be in the same space. So I think that mm-hmm. will fail, but we'll see modifications to the way we all conduct our life and conduct investing and conduct due diligence and conduct you know, everything in the, in the transaction space alone, mm-hmm. plus every other area of life. Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree with you. I think that that community is a, a central human need, right? We 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 are uh, as a people, we want to be together, and I don't think that's that's going to go away. I, I think there will be, you know, there'll, there'll be some backlash to this for a while, but I, I think it, it's innate in us, as you say, that to want to be together. So, so I, you know, I, I agree with that. I see that. I think that um, it's interesting. So, so as in from an investor perspective, thinking about. Um, Thinking about deals and, and, and looking and evaluating at deals, then um, I mean, you. It sounds as if you you rate the amenities in the deal highly. I mean, is it even where where does that rate in relation to things such as you know looking at finishes um, and then the box, as you say, um, to add value um, when you look at you know rent premiums and, and, and comps and, and price per door and things of that nature. Yeah. Well, I think it's a package deal. I don't think you can really have one without the other to, you know, to really hit well on a, on a, on a well-designed renovation value add program. I think you need to address all those areas. So I'm not suggesting that one is more important than the other. Um, I think you still need, if you're going after a class A renter in an A location with a value add property, and by the way, that's, that's the asset that there's, was pre-corona and post-corona, in my opinion, will still be uh, incredible demand for maybe there's some modifications. But, okay. but but I think that for that asset and that location, you still have to spend the money in the clubhouse. You still have to spend the money inside the apartment, um, delivering the best features and so forth. So, um, you know, it, they all play together. Uh, the sure. hard part is you're modeling up a value-add transaction and value-add plan is you know, how do we allocate rent bump to the dollars we spend in the amenity space. That's really hard to do. It's very easy to do, or at least we can come up with logical conclusions on dollars spent inside the unit because mm-hmm. you're that future renovation, that future kitchen finish and so forth to the property up the street that has a $250 higher rent. So you can, you can say, all right, if we do this, this, and this inside the unit, we're gonna get close to or equal to that rent up the street. Can't make those same arguments. It's just much more subjective in the amenity space. But uh, they're again, they're, they're both equally critical. In fact, you know, my view on it is, uh, you get five seconds with a prospect walking in the clubhouse. You get five seconds to make their decision. It's mm-hmm. it, what are they seeing? What are they hearing? What are they smelling? Hopefully, they're smelling good things. But um, mm-hmm. all those things, all those opinions get formed really quickly in the mind, and those are dollars you spend house in the amenity space yeah so it's just hard to say okay we do this and this and we're going to get this kind of a bump you can't can't make those correlations directly no absolutely i think that makes a lot of sense i think if i'm thinking about it from an investor standpoint though i'm thinking about okay if i'm looking at a deal i want to make sure that that the sponsor that i'm working with has 
a plan for both, right? Because because both are important, right? If you're putting you're putting granite and stainless steel in, but you're not providing amenities that are comparable in the market, then you're never going to be able to to achieve the value um, that that you would be able to achieve um, without it, right? So you've got it. One is making sure that there is a thoughtful plan for the amenities, as well as the nuts and bolts of what's going in the box. As you said, I think. So thinking about you know, changing changing gears here a little bit, thinking about um, you know, where we are today, and um, as we come out of as we come out of COVID nineteen, you know the, the world will open up again. Um, what are what are the markets that that you're dealing in that that you like, um, and maybe maybe it's the same as before, but but what are things. What are the markets that, that you like and what are the things that, that you like about those markets? Right. Yeah. Well, I, I'm going to start broad first and just point out uh, something that is self-evident. Uh, multifamily is a, a space where there is constant need. The, the, the user side of that business, the renter, has a profound need. They need housing. And you compare that to, let's just say that I'm going to pick on uh, the retail side and mm. don't have the need to go to Dick's Sporting Goods and you know, buy a new tennis racket every day, every week, or shorts, whatever you can go on down the list. We don't have that same need in the retail side. We don't have to go out for dinner. We don't have to go into the office. We've proven that here now that uh, you know, many Americans are, are working remotely today. And uh, while it's perhaps not as efficient as it is being in the office in a, in a dedicated space, we're getting by and we're doing it. Uh, and then look at the hotel industry. Uh, it's been uh, virtually shut down. So uh, you compare all those spaces to multifamily, and they look very different. And I left U.S. You know, logistics, industrial space, out of that comparison. Um, mm -hmm. Sort of uh, the arch rival, if you will, to multifamily. And both those spaces were just white hot pre-corona, mm -hmm. and will come out of this remaining white hot, maybe even hotter uh, from an investor. Sure standpoint because of what we've seen here and how those other sectors have uh, had some struggles mid-corona. Um, back to your, I think, what the intention of your question is, what segments of the market do we like? Well, what we've seen here in corona, let's just talk about collections for a moment. So the the, the collections, here we are, uh, you know, middle of the second half of April, the collection data in the A-grade space is uh, noticeably better than the collection in the C-grade space. Mm -hmm. So those who are making more income have the ability to pay. Those who are paycheck to paycheck, who are you know, among the among those in the U.S. that are they're, they're sitting on four hundred dollars at any given point in time, that workforce segment of the market is is challenged to pay. So you know, if we're if, if the strategy is is risk avoidance, then that would point investors into the the A grade segment of the market. But do you want to build an underwriting, you know, an investment strategy based on another Corona crisis? Probably not. I and mean, most most folks would look at this and right. say, "This was a you know, maybe a once in a lifetime type of event. We're not going to see something like this happen again. We will see, you know, arguably, we'll see a, an economic recession at some point again in our in our uh, relevant uh, future here. But um, will it be like this? No, not necessarily. But I think even in a, in a much more mild uh, economic event might happen in whatever, three years, five years, 20 years, we could expect those that are making more money to be uh, more readily able to pay the rent than those in the C-grade space. 
So I think you can you can make some form some investment decisions on on that based on which segment of the market you want to be in, um, and then you, know, you can look at other things like uh, so, you know some specialties of multifamily like student, uh, student housing, senior housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, student housing has been just a another white hot segment of, of the market with more kids going to college, uh, staying in, lo- in college longer, more kids going to grad school, and, and you know just needing private off campus or or we're just off campus housing, but we've all seen what's happened here at colleges, just like everything else shut down. And, and today there's some question about some colleges opening up in the fall. I know some have already announced delays to open mm-hmm. some of the first semester is just, it's going to be online. So now there's concern in the student segment about uh, you know, what fall of 2020 revenue looks like. Uh, the senior space is, is, uh, has been a, just a phenomenal growth sector inside the apartment um, category over the last several years as uh, more and more seniors, empty nesters are moving out of single family housing and into multifamily housing. But, you know, we now know mid Corona that those most susceptible to the virus are the elderly. So there's concern about that. I know, I know that the senior space have been uh, many operators in the senior space have been just phenomenal about, about the, uh, keeping their facilities safe and clean mm-hmm. and uh, free of uh, COVID-19. So we haven't seen the, you know, based on my conversations, we haven't seen the catastrophes in the senior space that you know, some might have thought possible uh, 30 days ago. But I think, the, you know, you ask yourself those questions, where do we want to play? If you're, if you're playing just you know, right up the fairway, then you're in the conventional multifamily space, um, sort of back to where we were, which is, uh, a lot of investor demand for a well-located, uh, not too old asset with limited or no physical obsolescence, and that are two to three hundred dollars below the competing properties in the submarket. And I think that once we get through this, we'll see uh, enormous demand for that asset classification, perhaps with a little bit more uh, pendulum swinging back toward the core strategies, you know, the Class A strategies, where we've got high-income residents already in place that can weather the storm. The yeah, pendulum, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask a, a deeper question there because as you've been talking with, you know, the buyers and sellers and your contacts in the, in the space, have you seen that, that change to a, uh, to a higher, more stable asset class? Are people already talking about that? Are, are we seeing, do we expect to see more deals coming in that, that A space versus C, because I mean, for, for a long time, the bell of the ball was C-class value add. People are, are going after, you know, high, high double digit IRRs um, and, and higher returns. Do you think there, there is the shift to more stable uh, class A, as you said? And, and I mean, have you seen that actually happening? Yeah. I can't, say soon? We, can't say we've seen that happening yet. I think you're right. It's just a bit too soon. Uh, but my my guess is that we do see that, that you know, some shifting of capital toward the the stable core plays. The pendulum is always swinging. It's always mm-hmm. swinging core strategies to value add, or from value add strategies to core strategies, and it tends to it tends to swing based on where uh, where the capital just got tired of playing, and it's you know it, it goes both ways. You know the, the returns get so compressed in the core space. Uh, with institutional capital coming in with the tremendous demand, greater demand, I think, today, maybe not mid-corona, but coming out of corona, 
greater demand then for multifamily than ever before and pressing down yields in the core space. And then we see the capital say, okay, no, no more. The yields are too skinny. Let's go create value. So it swings back toward the value add space. And then the value add returns get inverted and become lower than the core returns. And then we see the capital or some of the capital say, that's ah, a little too aggressive for the risk we're taking on. Let's go back toward core strategies. And so I would say that we are, you know, we're probably, uh, we're probably early in that curve that I just described where the yields have become so compressed in the value add space that we're seeing some groups you know, pre-corona and mid-corona too mm-hmm. saying, how do we take on the risk of having to execute a flawless renovation plan in order to achieve our, our, our investment returns uh, when we can get that same return or maybe even a better going in return in the core space? So some of those conversations are happening and been happening for the last six, 12 months or so. Mm-hmm. And I think we do with maybe a little bit more emphasis in getting back into the stable core asset space. I was just say you see it more as continuing with the same strategy, but but perhaps accelerating into where you think we were we were already going into more of that core. Is that right? I think I think that's a better way to say it. Yes, I think I think there'll be profound change or viewpoints in other sectors of commercial U.S. commercial real estate, but you know, multifamily you know, we're, we're providing a need that is. Uh, is not going away. People people aren't all of a sudden going to say for whatever reason. Well, now we need to buy a house post Corona. Mm-hmm. It's not happen, and and so I think that the space becomes even even more desirable from an investment standpoint coming out of this crisis. Um, but no, I don't see it. I don't see viewpoints changing dramatically inside the space. You know, we've never been through this before, and so nobody knows. We're all we're all theory. We'll all learn together. Sure. Yeah, I mean, go, going back to just the, the pure supply and demand dynamics, I mean, I mean when, I, when things get complicated, that's what, what I try to do is keep it simple and say, okay, if, you know, I mean, you were, you're an IU Kelly guy just, just like me, right? And we, we were taught this stuff. If, if supply is higher than demand, prices move down. Demand's higher than, than supply, prices will, will move up, right? And I think that that's what we're seeing. We, I've seen studies that say, we're four and a half million, you know, units short by by 2030, for example, of demand versus supply, um, and it seems as if that that could even be exacerbated now, based on based on one just the, the effect that this has had on, on people's economics, right, and the ability to to afford a house, um, and as we've we've already seen, housing prices continue to increase. Uh, but just that that constrained supply. I mean, it seems to me that there, like you said, there there could be even more of a need for a rental situation um, than even before. Yeah, I agree, and I think that as you as you look at supply in, in many secondary markets, uh, I would agree with your your kind of the theme of your comment that we are potentially undersupplied. That's not a primary market story. A lot of the primary markets have been overbuilt, particularly in the CBDs over the last three to four years. Okay. Um, but we haven't seen that in the secondaries. Uh, and, you know, what's what's interesting here is sort of case in point to that. Uh, as I'm talking to investors, you know, five years ago, let's say, it's, going, it's almost irrelevant what happened five years ago, but it, there's an interesting contrast here. We had to de- de- spend a lot of time defending supply levels in Indianapolis five years ago. And in investor conversations, and that was the one weak spot in Indy. Folks that were new to town that were thinking about investing in Indy would poke on supply. I mean, inevitably, it came up in virtually every new capital source conversation. 
it was well, supply. You build mm-hmm. apartments in Indianapolis, and, and you know, it felt like that was a, a correct assessment. But um, I don't have that conversation today. We're just not defending supply today because I think a lot of things have shifted. We're not building in every you know, cornfield in the, in the metro today like we were in years past. It's very strategic. It's you know, smart supply. It's built in you know, downtown Indy, or it's built in Keystone of the Crossing, or it's built in in Carmel, where we've got you know, jobs and amenities that people want to be, or downtown Fishers, where we've got jobs and amenities that people want to be. So we're we're building product in places where we have demand, and uh, and we're, we're finding an audience for it. It's being absorbed. And we've got that happening while mindsets have shifted radically over the last several years about single family versus multifamily. So I think that you can I think you can make a case in in many markets and many submarkets that we are potentially undersupplied for what we would expect mm-hmm. and to look like. And that's just holding that's holding the rentership ratios constant. If you continue to trend the rentership rates up over the next ten years, uh, even more uh, the case that can be made that we are potentially. Mm-hmm. So me, meaning that you expect the more people as, as a percentage to be renting versus versus owning, it's going to continue to escalate into the future. As well, I think, I think we could expect the rentership rates to increase. Yeah, I don't, especially like you said, in the wake of, in the wake of this uh, national global crisis, we could expect that to happen. But it was all, I mean, th- those rentership rates were, were still trending. It's not as if we, it's not as if we plateaued at, you know, pick your market, your number, 34% rentership. It's not, I don't think any markets nationally or very few have plateaued. We're still seeing that rentership rate uh, increase to the detriment of, of single family you know, home ownership rates. Gotcha. Thanks for listening to another great episode of Ritter on Real Estate. Hit the subscribe button to make sure you don't miss out on the content that will make you a better investor. Also, visit KentRitter.com for articles, videos, and tools curated just for passive investors. Until next time, this is Kent Ritter with Ritter on Real Estate. Now go out and invest like a pro.